thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Every time I get the opportunity to come here, I am just so beyond grateful. There are so many places truly I should be tonight. And God has had so much grace on my life to bring me here where I get to see all of you, kind of, these lights are bright, but see all of you <laughs> wonderful people. And I want to give honor to Pastor Dornbach and Sister Jackie, as well as Pastor Foster and Sister Tonya. Um, and also my extremely handsome stud of a husband. He is the best man to ever walk in shoe leather, and I am very grateful for his support. We are so spoiled, so spoiled by the leadership in this church and by our pastors. And, you know, they really, yes. <laughs> they um, really bring us so much wealth of biblical knowledge, and we have this super high expectation. Sometimes we go to these youth services, and we're like, you know, we have this super high expectation, and then it's not as great as Pastor Dornbach, and we all just kind of walk out like, okay, um, because we're spoiled. We're truly so spoiled. And so now uh, take that expectation, what you're used to, and just drop it for me <laughs> tonight, okay? Let's just bring it down. Uh, Sister Tanya said, you're preaching tonight. I said, um, no, I am, I am speaking tonight. <laughs> so it is amazing, though, that God chooses to love us. We, out of all the people in the whole world, he chose to love you and I. And he picked us out of everyone. And I don't know how blessed and how we won that lucky little lottery that we won, but here we are. And I'm also very amazed that my family still loves me <laughs> after knowing me for all these years, especially my mom and dad, poor mom and dad, and my sister. Um, it's amazing to me that they still love me through everything. Because, believe it or not, I was a very awkward teenager. <laughs> very awkward. Well, most people are, but I think I hold to that. So we used to go and visit my dad's family in Wisconsin. I'm from California, never been on a farm. This is a whole different world for us. So we go uh, to the farm, and I embrace wholeheartedly this farm life with these dairy cows. Now, you who have been on a farm, you know what that smells like. There is a very distinct smell when you're near a dairy farm, right? Um, so I show up in my flannel t-shirt that's buttoned all the way up. I am embracing this farm life, okay? This very long jean skirt that's probably an inch too long, dragging on the floor, <laughs> picking up all of this nasty farm life as I'm moving around. And because I'm a 90s child, I owned a pair of these white tennis shoes. And they were very cool, very cool, with these platform shoes. And they were white when I got there, and they were not white when I left. I wore these everywhere, my friends, everywhere. I went into the barn, into the house, into church, and I probably didn't wear socks, so you see where I'm going. They were kind of smelly, right? <laughs> they had a very distinct smell. So we get done with our vacation. My pastor at the time, wonderful man, he comes and picks us up in his minivan. And everyone gets in, and it's going to be two minutes and all of a sudden, I see the windows start cracking, <laughs> start cracking down. And my wonderful pastor, he's leaning and going like this. As he's driving, he's moving his nose towards that window. 
from that breath of fresh air. And someone mentioned in the conversation, oh, it stunk so bad. You can't imagine how disgusting this farm was. And he says, yeah, I think I, think I can. <laughs> because my shoes had a very distinct scent. He knew exactly what I had stepped into and where I had been. And so these wonderful 90s tennies became a sacrifice in a garbage can <laughs> on the side of the road. Um, and everyone who walked past them, I'm sure, got to smell a scent from my sacrifice. And just like my shoes, the word of God touches all of our senses, including our smell. In the word of God, a sacrifice, a burnt offering, is often associated with a scent. Um, Did you know that God can smell? That was something very interesting to me when I was studying this. Nearly 40 verses in the Old Testament, God declares that there is a pleasing aroma that comes from a burnt offering. So tonight we'll start by looking individually at all 40 of those verses. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> but we will take a look at just a couple of them. So the first one um, is we see in the Bible is given by Noah, this first burnt offering with a sacrificial scent. Genesis 8:20 20 to 21. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. The next one I want to point out is from Paul. He writes in Philippians 4, 17 through 19. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. <laughs> they are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So twice here we're seeing that he offers or that God sees the sacrifice as sweet and smells sweet. It has a scent and he can smell that and it's pleasing to God. So tonight I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about the scent of sacrifice. So I don't know if many of you know this, but a couple of years ago, Pastor and Brother Chad went to Israel. <laughs> And prior to them going to Israel, maybe like five years before, and I don't know, how long has it been? Five years after. He's kind of had this obsession with Israel. He, all things Israel. Like Friday nights at my house, there is an Israel documentary playing somewhere. He really loves it. So in 2018, um, for Chad's birthday, the kids and I, we came across this Jewish National Fund website, and we purchased for them to plant three trees in Israel with in honor of Chad. And he got this cool certificate. It's hanging in his office, at least I think it is, in the honor of Chad. And so this funding has established more than 200 million trees that have been planted in Israel and over 250 different forests in a place where it was desolate and there was just deserts. And so I really started thinking about these millions of trees that begin to grow in Israel that begin this growth process, which we all know is a difficult process. Um, it requires a sacrifice. It requires 
us to let ourselves let go of things. If we're going to move forward, if we're going to grow and refuge, we are in a place of growth and we are in a place of sacrifice. And that is not easy. And that comes with a lot of attachments of pain and hurt and a lot of exciting moments and then back down into this slump of pain and hurt. And it's just kind of a roller coaster of emotion. And, and we're there. And so as I was considering all of this, you know, God talks to you how you understand things. And so for me, he really simplifies <laughs> concepts so that I can understand the, deep, the deeper things of him. And one of the things also is that I teach the young people, and they really enjoy me simplifying. So come with me as we simplify <laughs> a concept, okay? I know it's going to sound a little bit like a children's book, but hang in there. So through when I was thinking about the importance of sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice came to mind, where Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And with the tree phenomenon going through my mind, I realized there was something that paid a significant sacrifice for this ultimate cross to be there, for Jesus to be able to give that sacrifice. And that journey of him growing and him developing to the point where he could be used by God in this ultimate sacrifice, it probably was pretty harsh. So this, I'm going to step away from the pulpit. This is not in the Bible, okay? <laughs> this is just something that I, when I'm thinking about the process and ultimate pro um, sacrifice and, and God using us, this image comes to mind. And as you can see, it's a cartoon because that's actually what's in my mind, a cartoon. So this tree that became the cross, it did not just become strong and mighty overnight, this was a process of growth. He couldn't just stand up and bear the weight of Jesus as he bore the weight of the sins of the world. He couldn't do that from day one, from when he was just a little seed. At first, you know, we recognize this tree. We recognize that cross tree. But when we first see it, it's a seed. And would we recognize that? Probably not. We wouldn't know. We wouldn't recognize the sacrifice that this, this little seed is going to go through to become what God has planned for him to become. So he needed soil. He needed water. He needed food in order to go through this process of development. He had to be protected. So I imagine... Wouldn't this be cool? Because I think it would be really cool that 12-year-old Jesus is somewhere walking around and he picks up a seed knowing this is the seed that I am going to use as this ultimate sacrifice. And he takes it and he puts it in his pocket. Now you get to be seed. Imagine your seed in Jesus' pocket. And you're, he's walking around and you're thinking, ah, I finally got chosen of all of the seeds. God chose me. I mean, how cool would you feel? And that's exactly where we are, though. Of all the people, God chose us. And so we have these big plans. We think, wow, he chose us. We must be doing something great. Jesus walks around, kneels down, pulls seed out. Seed starts looking around. Nazareth? Why am I in Nazareth? No good thing can come out of Nazareth. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the middle of the king's castle where everyone can admire the beauty, where everyone can, can admire my talents as I grow, and everyone can see that. 
as I'm growing. But that was not the case for seed. So Jesus plants him, and he matures. He matures into an adult tree. And he had to withstand a lot of storms to get to this point in his life. He had to go through some really cold winters. I don't know, but in, if he was in Missouri, he would have to. <laughs> he had to go through some really good high moments, you know. Um, he had to work through a process of, wait a minute, when Jesus planted me here, he whispered to me and said, I called you. And now I've just been here by myself, and Jesus hasn't come back. And where is he? And is he going to ever use me? Is he ever going to bring me to what he called me to be? He probably felt a little bit isolated. Where had God gone? I'm sure he also watched as other trees were planted around him. And as they grew, and then one by one, people came and took them to make something really nice as a family heirloom. Or to be planted where um, they would be able to have their names, you know, engraved into them forever and be photographed into a family memory. But not Tree. Tree was giving it his all. He was chosen, but he was still standing there. And he might have felt very desolate. He had to stand through lots of storms and suffer damage, I'm sure, that was external, that you could see. But the real damage, I imagine, would occur internally. The thoughts that he was thinking, where did God go? Why am I by myself here? And a lot of times when we are in seasons of growth and in seasons of sacrifice, we get internal pain and we're like, why where is this coming from? He didn't. She said, they didn't. Why not? And you get this pain that takes a hold inside of us. Because when we're sacrificing, because we know a calling, we know God's got a calling and a will for us. But when we're sacrificing, mm, it hurts because we're giving that all to God. And we're trusting him. And then sometimes, sometimes we reach back up and try to pull it back. Like, no, this isn't how it's supposed to go. And it causes an internal pain. And those areas of internal pain, that's a weakness that gets established inside of tree and inside of us. It's a weak spot. And so maybe you had something happen 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago, but it really, really hurt, and it left a place in you that was open and that was weak. So then, now, you're in this season of sacrifice. You've stepped out. You've made a big commitment to the building fund. You've given all your time on Saturday nights and Sundays to, for God's kingdom, but then something just didn't sit right. Someone said something, didn't say something, should have said something, and now you have this area that mimics, it's not the same, but it mimics that same feeling, and you have this spot that just mm, tightens up, and it becomes what the Bible refers to as a stronghold in your life, and because you can't shake it off, you can't tear it down, you just try to overcome it, you try to overcome it, but it just keeps coming back. I forgave them, Lord, then you see them, and mm, they feel that tension, tension again. Because it's not really completely healed. It's open. It's a scar. It hurts. And you're broken and you're weak in that area. The, the danger is 
that it starts in our thoughts. It's something that I thought. It might not even have been true. Sister Tanya probably didn't even say that about me. <laughs> she might have, don't tell me. But it might not even be true, you know? I, I'm walking around, I don't, you know, we don't say hi to one another, and you're like, oh, they don't like me. But that might not even be true. I might just have a UTI. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. But I might have something else going on in my life. And so it's not about that, but it becomes a stronghold. I'm sorry, nursing coming out. <laughs> but it becomes a stronghold in your life. And then you have that area of weakness. And if we're not careful, we allow these areas within us to grow. And we get bitterness. And that seed of bitterness climbs deep. And it's hard to get that out. And then we're just easily bumped and bruised and broken. You know, because we're weak. When a bone area is weak, you can just touch it. And it's going to bruise. And it's going to re-break. And that's exactly what happens when we have that stronghold. And so we're not strong enough, just us, to get a stronghold out on our own. We don't have that power. We don't, we're not that great. We can't do it. The only way to tear down a stronghold out of your life is to repent for it. Because when you repent, you ask God to come into the equation. You invite God into that situation. So when you repent and invite God into that situation, he is able to tear down those strongholds. So if it's envy, if it's bitterness, if it's fear, God is able to turn that down, hopelessness, anything. So we have to be on our guard as a church and as a family. Have you ever noticed how offenses happen in families very, very easily? And then also in churches, I know sometimes I'll be like, I'm never offended at people at work. Like, they're so nice. Why is that? Because we have a purpose and a calling, and God has a plan for us. And the enemy sees that, and he will come, and he will figure out where is the weakness in the church. Where is it? And he will attack that weak spot. And so we're always going to have that within us, and we have to be aware, and we have to have our guard up. And Tree knew these things about, about sacrifice, about growth. Um, but it was still hard. He had these moments where he was like, why am I even trying? It feels pointless. Even as big as he is, do you know that his tree roots only are found in the top 18 inches of soil? And 50% of those are only in the top 6 inches. So he's thinking, I am this large. How can I go through all these storms, bear all of this weight. And the Bible actually talks about shallow roots. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Sometimes we feel like our roots are real shallow. We're just all going through a time. Maybe just life is piling on and our roots are just really, really shallow. And we think, ain't no way I'm going to conquer this storm. This one, this is it. I'm done. I quit. I, I cannot do it. But researchers have discovered that when trees face storms, they develop a lateral system of roots, which they never would have reached to develop unless they encountered that storm. 
God takes us through seasons of storms in our life to help us to develop a root system that extends laterally. You are each other's root system. You are my root system. When I am feeling weak, you are the ones who will be there to hold me up, to help me in a storm. We are each other's root system. When I'm not healthy, I'm praying to God that you are <laughs> so that you can feed me as I am growing. This is an intricate process where we're all connected to fight the storms that come against us. I got the privilege of uh, going to a small group at the Chester's the other night. We just kind of dropped in, and we appreciate them letting us do that. But Sister Wallard, she's amazing, by the way. We don't give her as much honor as we should. Yes. <laughs> Sister Wallard spoke up, and I haven't had the privilege to go to a small group with her before, but when Sister Wallard speaks, we listen. Everybody was like, oh, she's speaking. Shh. <laughs> and so we were discussing uh, why do Christians sometimes view the world as evil? And Sister Wallard responded very quickly, and she said, because we allow it them to. We allow it to. We allow ourselves to have that thought because we're not tearing away that thought because we're not hearing the thought and then casting it away as soon as it gets there. She said, we allow it to. And I thought, mm, that's so true. <laughs> we definitely allow these thoughts to come into our minds and we kind of just let them grow. And we maybe not even aware of it, but we have to become so aware when these thoughts come to our minds and we can cast them down before they get into that weak spot and develop a stronghold. You know, she also said, um, I think a lot of people, I'm paraphrasing, she said it much better. But we view the world as evil because we view it as hurting and all the hurt and all the pain that's in the world. And that we think, oh, the world is evil because they hurt us or that person, you know, did this to us. And she said, um, our focus is on the hurts, but we forget that we have hurt people too. They may have hurt you, but you have hurt people too. And she said, but you just don't know it. It's true. We may feel hurt, but we have also hurt someone else. And so we have to learn to let go of that as a family, as a church family. You know, newsflash, you're not perfect. It's hard to hear. None of us are. So we serve a perfect God, though. And he is the one that can forgive us and help us to tear down these strongholds. So when this storm is over, we have this network. We've developed this root system. And we can grow into what God's called us to be. So Tree, he gets to become an adult size. He's ready to serve God. He's stepped into his calling. But then instead of this greatness that he imagined when he got to this point in his life, instead they chop him down and they strip him bark piece by bark piece, leaf by leaf, until they're shaping him in this painful process into something and he doesn't really understand. Wait, I have all this talent. Why is it not being used? I don't understand. And a lot of times in the process of growth and sacrifice, we can't see that ultimate outcome. We don't understand what God is doing. Sacrifice hurts and it's messy and it's filled with a lot of tears, at least in my life. 
But Leviticus 2.9 tells us, the priest will take a representative portion of the grain offering and burn it on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. God can smell. And when you're sacrificing things in your life, when you're sacrificing your time and your money and your energy and your efforts and your talents, God is looking down and that aroma is coming up to him and he is saying, I like that. That pleases me and he will draw closer to you because he's pleased by what you're doing. Your sacrifice is beautiful to God. One of the most iconic aromas or smells that you, we see in the Bible is discussed in, with Mary's alabaster box. And there's a lot of different versions of this and a lot of different um, views. Is this Mary Lazarus' sister? Is this a different Mary who used the alabaster box? I don't know. So tonight <laughs> we're going to go with the fact that Mary, who is Lazarus' sister, is the same Mary with the alabaster box. You can have your different view and you can bring it up with the pastors. <laughs> so we're going to look at John 12, 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. So when Pastor Chad went to Israel, he asked me, if you could have one thing from Israel, what would it be? And I asked for Mary's alabaster box. I wanted to know, what was that? What did it look like? Here it is. This is an alabaster box, and inside of it, my lid comes off, but hers, they say, would have been sealed completely shut, and it's just a little vial inside of there that is filled with this essence. I don't want to break it. <laughs> I would. Um, it's filled with that essence. And scholars say that this little bit of perfume that was in there was worth a whole entire year's worth of her wages. One whole entire year. That's hard to imagine. But she wanted something so special to give to Jesus. She went to her house and she started looking. And she was looking. When we want to sacrifice something to God, we don't just grab the first thing that comes to mind or give him, you know, the castaways, the leftovers. We have to look for that thing. And God will put that in our heart and put that in our mind, what it is he wants that sacrifice. So she goes to her home and she finds something that's special and something that's valuable. And she wants to give that to Jesus as a sacrifice. King David also understood this principle of a sacrifice costing something. In 2 Samuel 24, King David was directed to build an altar and sacrifice on a specific piece of land. When he got the land, he offered to buy it from the owner. And the owner, trying to help the king out of kindness, said he could have it for free. But 2 Samuel 24, 24 shows us his reply. The king replied to Arana, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cast me nothing. If it has not cost us something, it is not a sacrifice. It is not a burnt offering unless it has cast, costed us something. 
So Mary goes in, she finds this, she calculates the cost, and she decides, this is what I want to give Jesus. But she could have taken this, and she could have only given half of it. Half of a year's worth of wages, that's a pretty good sacrifice. But she determined, no, I'm not holding back anything from Jesus. I'm giving all of it. And sometimes we have a tendency to calculate, hmm, just how much is going to hurt me? How much of my talent and time and energy and money will actually cut into me and hurt me? And that's how much we give to God when he's calling for everything that we have. Sacrifice hurts. And then she had to decide where was she going to give this offering. I imagine they knew each other. They were friends. She could have pulled him aside to a private area and given this sacrifice to him. But instead, she did not. She waited and she gave it at a dinner party where all the people were and all the disciples who were judgmental towards this sacrifice. And she knew, I'm sure, People aren't going to like this so much. This sacrifice is not going to be understood. But she still chose to give her talent and her, her sacrifice to God in front of all of them. And a lot of people, just like when, when Mary gave this, the disciples started murmuring about her. When we give of our time and our effort and our energy and our finances, people won't always understand and they're going to do that murmuring about it. But we still, we're the ones who get to decide how much are we willing to give to God. How much are we willing to sacrifice. And this act of devotion served as an anointing to Jesus before his death. It, in, it was customary for them to anoint someone before they died in that culture. And he wasn't going to get that because he was being crucified for a crime. And so Mary gave her all to Jesus. And this was an act of worship. When we sacrifice, it is an act of worship, and it's beautiful to God. After Mary poured out this sacrifice, she then humbles herself even further, and she gets on the ground, and she wipes his hair, or his feet, with her hair. So then, Jesus smelled like this sweet essence, but then Mary smelled like this sweet essence. The Bible said it filled all the room. So when she leaves that room and she's walking past people, they can smell her. Oh, she smells like Jesus because she had been with Jesus. And when we sacrifice and we draw close to God, we start to smell like Jesus. And when we're walking around our city and we're walking around in our colleges and our jobs, they smell Jesus. They smell the scent of him throughout the air. It would have been completely impossible for Tree or for Mary to know what their sacrifice was ultimately going to have, what kind of effect it was ultimately going to have. They had no idea. And we have no idea what kind of sacrifice or what kind of effect our sacrifice is ultimately going to have on those the smell of your sacrifice can so profoundly affect someone's life. It may be the only time that they get that close to Jesus. It may be the first time they ever got that close to God's essence and his presence is when they smell him on you. 
And Bill Sauter, he's a historian director of the RMS Titanic, and he gives or relays this story and experience from when they were pulling out things from the Titanic wreckage, um, and it shows the significance of the effect of smell. Bill Sauter very modestly says he knows the ship better than the builders, and I actually believe he does. He's the curator of an enormous collection of Titanic artifacts. He has more day-to-day -day contact with the physical remains of the ship than anyone. The one thing I'll remember about Titanic artifacts of the day I die is when the Soffeld perfume vials came up. When you recover stuff from the Titanic, it's wet, it's rusty, and it's rotten. And the smell that comes off it is perfectly alien, perfectly fetid. You know it's a kind of death you have never experienced. And so the lab is kind of unpleasant. And then all of a sudden, somebody opens up this satchel, this leather satchel, and out comes the fragrance of heaven. It's all these flowers and fruity flavors, and it's delicious. It's the most wonderful thing you've ever had. Um, it was just a complete, overwhelming experience. It was like, all of a sudden, the fragrance of heaven you know, kind of goes through the room. So instead of being surrounded by all of these dead things, um, in, uh, for those few minutes, the ship was alive again. <laughs> I want the scent of heaven to flow off of me when I enter into a putrid and dirty and nasty world that's filled with vile. I want his scent to flow from me so that those people who are desolate, who are lost, who are hurting, who are experiencing death and putrid will be in the presence of God, that they will be and smell that essence that comes off of a sacrifice as a pleasing aroma. Let's all stand. I'm closing. Your sacrifice is valued by God, and it allows him to accomplish so much more than we could ever imagine. In his kingdom, he needs you. He desires your sacrifice, and he is so pleased by that sweet-smelling aroma that fills the room that comes off of the sacrifice. It pleases him. And you know what? It reminds him of his promises. It draws his attention to you. And all of a sudden, that scent comes up to him, and he smells it, and he thinks, oh, my goodness, refuge is sacrificing. And he wants to be near that, so he comes closer, and his mind is focused on you. And when God's mind is focused on you, oh, my what can happen when God's mind is focused on you? That sacrifice, that sweet-smelling savor, it will remind him of us. It will remind him, and he will come close to us. So as we come to the altar and look for a place of sacrifice, that God is, what is God calling you to? We all have different things. We all have different uh, callings in our life that God is dealing with us about maybe for years or maybe just for minutes. What is he calling us to?